Welcome to the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine. UX introduces a simple formula for personal and business growth based around one principle. We can't solve big, valuable problems alone. Starting with this principle, UX equips and empowers us to pour ourselves into people and systems, scale authentically, and create a life of exponential freedom and impact. And now, let's get started with the latest episode of the UX Podcast. What's up, Rockstars? Matt Johnson back with another episode of the UX Podcast. As always, we have a phenomenal episode for you. And this really is for anyone that has a website. And what I mean by that is if you're a coach, consultant, creative, if you're an agency owner, I don't care what you are, uh, if you have any type of professional service, this is the episode for you because we're talking about three very simple ways to adjust our website to increase our sales. In other words, the fastest way to drive more sales from our website. And we're talking with Matt Inglot, the founder of Tilted Pixel. So we also talk with Matt about how he's grown his agency and there are some great lessons there. But the the lessons that really apply to anyone here that we got into uh, about websites are the fastest ways to grow, uh, you know, sales from your website, increase conversions. There's some simple ways that we can adjust our website homepage to increase our conversions. Uh, there's one big reason that Matt loves one pager websites and why they're so awesome. Uh, so there's a bunch of stuff that we get into there. And then from Matt's experience with Tilted Pixel, we also talk about two reasons to pay a premium to our team members. So in other words, there's two, two reasons or two scenarios under which we would actually pay someone more than they would demand on the open market somewhere else and why we might want to do that. So we also go deep into Matt's experience growing his agency and some fun stuff there. So guys, I know you're going to enjoy this episode. Make sure to tell, uh, check out Matt's agency, Tilted Pixel. Uh, and then uh, let's jump right into the conversation with Matt Inglot. So what's, um, tell me a little bit of just, uh, for, for background, like what, what's your, what's your daily rhythm? Like, where do you spend most of your, most of your time? Cause I know you're running your agency, podcasting, yeah. doing all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, it kind of changes from month to month to be honest, but yeah, uh, you know, I'd say half my time goes to the agency and right now, uh, a lot of time also goes to the fact that we bought a house recently. So, um, <laughs> quite frankly, there's been a lot of that. Uh, where I live, the summer is very short. Um, so, you know, I've been taking full advantage of that, to be honest. And we've got a huge yard now. So, we've been trying to transform it uh, into more of a garden and less of just a lawn. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a bunch of agency work, a little bit of freelance transformation work, and then a lot of housework. Cool. Where where does the podcast fit into kind of your world? What do you? Um, is it partly like a lead generator for the agency? Is it mostly like a side project to build yourself up as a thought yeah. leader? Yeah, it's a completely separate business. I have a course on freelancing called Freelance Start that I open periodically. I'm writing a book right now. Um, and basically what happened is I helped a lot of clients build info product businesses. So uh, at okay. some point I decided, hey, you know, I kind of want to have my own thing too, where, you know, mm-hmm. I get to try stuff out and I just get to scratch that itch. Yeah. So it's a niche scratcher. That's what it is. <laughs> Well, that's, yeah, that's kind of the same thing for me on, on this podcast. I get to talk to super awesome people and connect with other agency owners and all that stuff and like have the conversations about the behind the scenes stuff that helps grow the business. Um, and then I also get to like the other side of this podcast is I get to talk to coaches and consultants who are also like one of my ideal 
client types. Mm, so it's kind of a blend. Cool. Like, yeah, it's a really nice blend of both where I get to like scratch my own itch and network and stuff like that. But then I can also just flat out just bring the people on that I think are awesome and would love to work with and just invite them onto the show, which is a really nice kind of side benefit or benefit. I guess it's not a side benefit. Mm-hmm. It's just one of the main benefits of podcasting, but yeah, that's awesome, man. So, um, so what's your, just out of curiosity, what's your experience been? Cause I've, I've had the same, I've dipped my toe into the water, but not gone into it probably as much as you have. Um, through the podcasting, the work that I've done, it ends up generating like a lot of requests to help somebody build code, like, um, uh, info products. Uh, just cause like all, you know, every coach and consultant wants it and or needs it. Right. So I get a lot of, you know, a lot of interest in doing that. Uh, what was your experience like? Uh, so oddly enough, uh, indirectly, uh, I have gotten clients for the agency, uh, through the podcast. One in particular was an awesome client that we do a lot of work for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that wasn't really the intent of a podcast, right? Mm-hmm. The intent was to attract freelancers and the type of clients that we attract for agency are very different because there are people that already have uh, some sort of products based business, mm-hmm. um, probably, you know, mid six figures at least, and are at a point where all the out of a box stuff that they've built their business on just isn't working for them anymore, yeah. right? Like, you know, the software can do this much and they're you know, wish list this like that. And that's where we can come in and we can do something that's way more extensive and cool and complicated mm-hmm. uh, than, you know, they could ever get off the shelf. And at the same time, uh, make them a ton more money as well. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's uh, like, I love that stage in a company and love helping people out like yeah. that. Um, yeah, because there's the, they've got the money to play with. Yep. There's room for growth. A lot of times they've got their operation systems down so like they can handle growth, uh, which is always a concern if you're working with like freelancers and, you know, solopreneurs or, or small team people. There's always that concern of, well, I'd like to do that, but mm, I, I don't know that I can handle the demand. Like it would just mm-hmm. you know, literally like if I got 15 new clients, they would break my business. So yeah, it's fun working with the companies where they've got their act together to the point where that's not true. And you can really focus on doing something that just grows the business. Um, for you guys, like what's your, what's your bread and butter? Like if you could do one thing all day long that you feel like really helps that mid six figure company get to the next level, what is it for you guys? Um, so we target mostly membership sites. Really? Um, so yeah, uh, or at least that's kind of where we've been changing our positioning. Yeah. Uh, it's evolved a lot over 13 years, but uh, <laughs> we're mostly targeting membership-based info products and membership sites that have more complex co- needs than just like posting uh, videos on ThinkEffic or something, right? Yeah, um, it's it's a much more involved system. So, you know, helping them build out a custom membership platform that can do all the cool things they want to do, uh, including the, the functionality, but also including all the cool member retention stuff and having mm-hmm. like multiple tiers of plans and basically doing everything we can to uh, take the asset that you've built, which is your membership base, and help you you know, double, triple, whatever the heck the amount of money coming in from that membership base by just doing a whole lot more with them. That's really interesting. There's a, there's a lot of directions we could go with the conversation on that. Yeah. That's because, yeah, I mean, oh, like everybody, everybody in my world and their mom and their, their three cousins and whoever walks their dog all wants a membership site 
Yeah. Uh, and it's definitely not easy to, uh, to build one. And not, I don't think it's always for the reason that people think even it's, uh, I think a lot of people get hung up on the operation stuff and they lose sight of just the sales and marketing. And like you said, the retention, um, what, what's the numbers at right now? Cause I, I hear everything from the average, the average length of a person who, you know, who retains, uh, like and actively pays for a monthly membership site on average is something like three months. Is that, mm-hmm. is that what you see like average out there? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there is an average average, right? Cause the results like yeah. we ourselves see across our clients are so different. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> I think That's a lot good. of it comes Wait, down. But is it an issue of being good? Like, it, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, is it like, is there a certain amount of turnover that you just expect, even if yeah. the site is really good? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Well, it, it kind of comes down to the fact that someone will sign up, right? Mm. And the service is either going to fit their needs or it's not. And you're right, the people for whose needs it doesn't fit, they might turn out very quickly and it might be a couple of months. Yeah. Um, but what about the people that it is a good fit for? Now we're not look now we're not talking about in terms of months, we're talking about how many years can we retain them for? Right. So very different thinking process. That's interesting. Um, but things that affect the average are also just like, how did you get that member in the first place? Do you have a trial in place or do they have to fork out money to do anything? Um, do, you, do you like the membership sites better? They give them a free or a super low cost trial. So it kind of allows people to self-select and get out before they really get in. It depends. I'm going to say, cause the other issue is what are you selling? What's the mm-hmm. price point of that? Yeah. Um, I'm personally pretty wishy-washy on trials. Are uh, you really? I don't want to do a trial unless I have to, basically. Interesting. Because it's an, it's, an added, it's an added part of the funnel that you have to build out, put it that way. Okay. So, and it's added complexity and added everything. It's easier to start with, let's present the offer, let's have a compelling offer, Mm-hmm. And let's get them on a subscription. And preferably, let's get them on a yearly subscription or a quarterly subscription, you know, not a monthly subscription. Yeah, um, in the sense that they pay for the year mm-hmm. up front? Yeah. Gotcha. Exactly. Um, which, ironically, I used to not like. But with the things you can do with billing systems now, uh, I think it works a lot better. No, but again, it like depends. It depends on price points. Like if you are selling a service that's $100 a month, you're going to have trouble selling a yearly subscription for that. Mm. Um, but if you have a service where the price point is more like 20 bucks a month, uh, you can do a lot pushing into the yearly. Hmm. Okay. So it's, again, it's, yeah. it's so case dependent. And I mean, that's part of what I love about the work is, you know, you go into each business and each business is different. The business, is mo- business model is different. Uh, the price points are different. Um, how well the members know the company is different. That's a big one. Are you signing up when uh, this is a business that already has a ton of social proof with you and you already love them and you're basically a fan? Or did you stumble across this site through Google ads or Facebook ads five minutes ago? (laughs) (laughs) That also makes a huge difference, right? Yeah, totally. So there, there, there's a whole lot you could go into there. That that's almost like its own separate interview. Oh but, my god, yes, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we that up. exactly. Yeah, you're you're asking for you're asking for the definitive answer, and mm-hmm. the problem is it depends on so much. 
Yeah, exactly. Well, and but that is the definitive answer. The definitive answer is that you have to have somebody in place, whether it's you or or if it's the client, if they're experienced at this, like just taking a scientific method type approach of going, yeah. there is an answer. I don't know what the answer is, but I do know that the answer right now is to experiment in such a way that we find out what the answer is because it's not just one easy thing for, for everybody. So I totally get that. And I think that's where a lot of... Um, I don't know, coach consultants kind of lose, lose sight of it as if you don't, there may not be an easy answer. Mm -hmm. So therefore the answer is you, you very, very intentionally experiment yeah. until you find out what the answer is for your tribe. Yep, exactly. And yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll throw in one more thing, uh, which is that it also depends on what your own business's goals are too. Uh, because if you're trying to squeeze 10% out of an existing membership base, your decisions that you make might be very different than if you're trying to grow two or three times uh, your size in the current year. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're trying like, to squeeze 10% out, it might be a small tactical answer. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to two or three or 10x or whatever, it's got to be a whole different, it's probably a whole different strategy. Bingo. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, so that makes sense. So let's dive into the website design a little bit. I was talking to um, another agency owner, we were kind of riffing behind the scenes, we're talking about just how the implementation and the, the actual execution of the work is just getting, uh, it's becoming a commodity. Now, I, you know, you can make a case that it shouldn't be, but at least in the client's eyes and, and the, you know, costs are, the demand for costs to come down is, is really never, we're never going to outpace that. Like clients always want to pay less and get more. Like we know that. Um, so I think where, where you guys have really separated yourself is like, look, we're going to, we build websites, but we build websites that actually work and that serve a conversion goal and, and actually help you increase sales. In other words, you're selling marketing strategy blended with the implementation. Um, and so tell, tell me a little bit about kind of how that evolved. I don't know if that's always been the case for you or if you found out that that's the message that needs to work, but it definitely sets you guys apart. Yeah, it definitely does. And it definitely didn't start that way. So I started just uh, building websites to, frankly, to pay for school. Yeah. <laughs> I had an amazing part-time job at a startup. The startup ran out of money. And here I was out on my own and I needed to do something. And it was either, well, let's you know start making burgers or let's see if I can do something with these web development skills I have. So I knew nothing. And I'd argue that I learned most things the hard stubborn way by trying stuff out and seeing it not work, trying it again anyway, and then yeah. finally cluing in, wait a minute, there's a better way. So at one point, I had an office space, I had employees, and at that point, I was still basically selling website design. And finally, uh, that whole thing basically collapsed around my head like a house of cards because I realized that with all of this overhead, uh, all the employees and office space and something, the amount of money that I could charge for a website, just it, the math didn't work. Hmm. So every month I'd wake up super stressed out because I didn't know how to make payroll. I didn't know how to make oh, yeah. Well, and you're in, you're in Ontario, right? I mean, this is not a low cost of living kind of area. I mean, maybe compared to New York or San Francisco, it's lower, but definitely not low. Yeah, definitely. And especially because at that point I was hiring everybody local and competing yeah. against all the big tech companies in Waterloo. Um, so that, that was just a recipe for disaster. So going through that and at one point basically running out of money forced me to finally look at the business, <clears throat> forced me to understand what's actually working about it and what isn't. And finally 
I did take that deep look and I realized, hey, wait a minute, there's a small subset of clients that pay us way more money. We do way more stuff for them. And that's where all the profits come from. And all of these other like $5,000 web design jobs, uh, we're lucky if we break even on them, if we truly calculate our costs properly, like not just look at what we pay developers, designers, and so on, but what we pay for project management. Yeah. The opportunity oh. cost of me trying to sell those projects versus sell bigger projects. So I finally blew it all up in 2011 and decided to rebuild uh, in a much smarter way. And I realized that with those clients that we were making up money on, those was a very different relationships. Those weren't clients coming to us saying, hey, you know, I need a new design and it's got to be pink and it's got to do this and this. Uh, these were clients that were consistently coming back to me for advice. Right, they they had usually online businesses, not always, but usually had online businesses. Um, they had some level, some pretty big level, oftentimes of success, and they just need a lot of help and guidance. And that's where I realized, hey, wait a minute, they're not really paying me because we're good at web design or coding. I mean, we are. Uh, they're paying me because they really need someone that's a trusted advisor to them. And that's where, you know, the light bulb went off and I said, okay, here's our new project minimum. It's a lot higher. And here's the type of client I'm going to target. And the real story is, of course, it took a couple of years to really hone that in and uh, really start making money again. But, you know, fast forward to 2013 and I had a very different business. It was remote based Mm -hmm. um, and I was basically... Uh, working with a lot less clients, but they were much higher value clients. And instead of trying to sell a commodity, um, they were basically hiring me because I could help them make a lot more money. That was a much more compelling argument. Um, And at the same time, I was working a lot less. That year, I had spent like a month uh, rock climbing in Croatia with my wife and, you know, just doing a couple hours of client work in the evenings. It was awesome. So yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, so that's kind of a long answer, but that was the whole kind of path to get there. And when you think about it, um, recently I hired a lot of contractors because I just bought a house and there was a ton of stuff that needed doing. Mm-hmm. And it really gave me a chance to appreciate why clients are willing to spend tons and tons of money, tens and tons and tens of thousands of dollars uh, working with somebody like us because when you don't know how to solve the problem, it's that knowledge and expertise that really comes into play. So I worked with a lot of contractors recently and so many of them expected me to know how to be a plumber, how to be an electrician, how to manage them. Um, They're basically looking for a boss. Yeah. um, Versus, you know, there were the other guys that would actually explain stuff to me and give me recommendations on how to achieve what I'm trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. And not just try to tell, get me to tell them, oh, I need this much lights, this many electrical yeah. sockets. And yeah, I mean, they weren't the cheapest by far, but um, they were the ones I hired because they could actually tell me how to get the job done and then go and do it and give me the result that I wanted. So yeah. it's the same thing that your business clients want. Yeah, it, it's true. And, and it reminds me of, um, so I, I, I got a book sent to me by a guy that I connected with. It's now my business coach. And I, I connected with him a couple years ago. And the first thing he did is turn around after our first conversation, he sent me a book. It was Managing the Professional Service Firm by David Maester, which is an insanely incredible book. And one of the main things I took away from that book is that is to really understand like why clients hire us. And to understand the first thing is they can't tell how good we are at what we do. 
<laughs> yep. And, and that was like a huge light bulb went off because I, I hadn't had that experience. Like you experienced it firsthand of seeing a bunch of different contractors and how they treated you. And some expected you to know by some magical virtue that you, unknown to them, I don't know why they would expect you to understand plumbing and how, they, how good they are at plumbing if you don't understand plumbing. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us probably unknowingly go into our client relationships that same way. We assume they do or they should know how good we are at what, the, at what we do when they have no idea how to tell. I mean, it, there, I'm, I'm sure there's some rare occasions maybe where you've sold to a client who knew what you knew about web development. They just didn't have the time to implement and do it themselves. How rare is that? Uh, you know, 99% of the time, it's not like that. Yeah. Well, those aren't the clients that you want anyway, because... Every, every time I've talked with someone <laughs> that wants that, I mean, they're the ones that just want, you know, the labor, but cheaper, yes. right? Yep. There's no strategy. There's no advice. Uh, they're just looking for the work for hire as cheaply yep. as possible to the standard of quality that they're looking for. And that's yep. fine. There's honestly nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all the, you know, going back to the fact that, you know, you, you pointed out web design and all that stuff is a commodity. All the hard work's already been done, right? Yep. At that point, there's just, you know, a million designers out there that can execute that vision, but I'm sorry, the, the market, the market is what it is. There's a million designers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, but yeah, I mean, and I, I'm sure you have these kinds of conversations cause I hire, you know, I hire kids that are uh, in college coming out of college, you know, stuff like that for some of the lower levels of our, of our team. And because we're in the marketing field, and we're kind of in the creative field, I guess you could say, like in podcast production, I have people coming in that will apply because they, they want to be graphic designers and they want to work for a, for a big agency that's doing really cool creative work. And it's, you know, it's like, that's, that's awesome. Like there's, you know, there's still agencies doing great creative work for bigger companies and there's money to be made. I'm like, if you're the entrepreneur, if you're the one that's selling the deals, it's not the designers, the rank and file, like their salaries keep getting pushed down and down and down and their work keeps getting shifted overseas because the talent, I mean, the talent overseas right now, I don't know what you think. Um, I mean, from my perspective, it's, it's good and getting better, uh, which is going to put a lot of pressure here on creative workers in the States who think they're going to make really good money doing graphic design and web design. I just don't see that panning out for them, unfortunately. Yeah, well, again, it, it depends, you know, where you want to take your career. If you insist that, you know, your day and your work starts and ends with Photoshop, then you're in trouble because you are competing with the people overseas. Uh, but as soon as you can transition to now being a designer that can help the client use design to get whatever result they're trying to do. Uh, I come from the website world, so the obvious problem for me is conversions. You know, if you can help a website sell more, um, through your design, then suddenly it's a very different kettle of fish. Yeah. Uh, because I'll tell you, it's incredibly difficult to find someone overseas that'll do that for you. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, one, I think that's just not what they're what they do. Uh, but two, that moves from just being very knowledgeable about design to suddenly being very knowledgeable about business and yeah. being very knowledgeable about how sales and marketing works. And it's much, much tougher to find that person. Yeah, that's true. Where I get paid a premium rate. Like, uh, you know, the people I work with, I, I pay them pretty good money. But uh, the people I get paid pretty good money is because they can take the thinking off my plate. 
Mm-hmm. I don't have to do the thinking. And that's what I pay yeah. for. Not yeah, I, think there's, I think there's two reasons we pay people well, like from an entrepreneur's perspective, especially like an agency owner, or, or even if you're a coach or consultant, you just have team members on your staff. To me, there's really only two reasons to pay somebody well. And that's, like you said, take the mental burden off of me, do some of the thinking work, take the responsibility and pressure off of my plate on some of that stuff. And then the other, the less important reason is just security. Uh, to give them an incentive to stay with you rather than, you know, paying right at market so they can make, you know, so that they're tempted to make lateral moves to other teams for no reason other than just a 10%, you know, increase in pay. So I'd rather pay a little bit more for the security of knowing they're not open to other job offers really, unless it's the, uh, an amazing, like if they get an amazing opportunity, which, which one of my staff did earlier this year, ended up working for a killer agency based here in SoCal and awesome, like happy for him. Like we replaced him with another rock star. We're all good. He, he's awesome. His replacement's awesome. Everything worked out. Um, I don't mind those cases, but I want to, I don't want people leaving because they're making lateral moves for something that's slightly a little bit more tempting. Um, but there was something you said in the, in the design part that I want to dig a little deeper on. So when you look at when you look at a website and you ask yourself the question, you know, the, okay, this isn't convert. They're coming to me because this isn't converting. What are some of the first, like, let's say, top two or three things that you look at to to understand better why it's not converting to kind of start that process? So let, let's give maybe the the folks who are listening on the other end two or three things to think about when they look at their own website that'll really give them some aha moments and some of the things that you discovered in, in redoing and, and rebuilding website design? Well, the reality is simple is always best. So I'll, I'll give you the three things and they're going to seem really obvious. And then you can go back to your own website and there's a good, you know, I'd say there's a good 70, 80% chance you're not doing them. Um, <laughs> right. Although, although people do seem to be getting better at this. First things first is, and, and we're assuming like a typical website where there's a homepage and everything. So when they land on your website on the homepage or whatever landing page, um, can they understand what the heck, what, what kind of problem you're solving for them in the first like three seconds? Right. And again, it sounds obvious, but there's so many websites that don't do that. Uh, Corporate websites are particularly bad for that. They Mm -hmm. like coming up with all this corporate jargon talking about how, you know, you are the visionary leading leader in data processing management services in the complex world of blah, 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 blah. And you read this thing and you don't even know what they're saying, right? And, and your listeners are rightfully selfish, right? They only care yeah. about themselves. Um, so they want to know what's in it for me. So you need to articulate the problem that you're solving and you need to articulate it in the words of your visitors. Mm. And if you're not doing that, well, that's step one. Yeah. Um, step two is there needs to be a clear path from understanding that it's, it's a problem that you're solving for them to understanding what the solution is, um, how your system works, and then, you know, and, and making that easy, which okay. these days there's a lot of one-pager websites. Those are awesome because you can go to that website, you can understand the problem, you can understand the solution, you don't have to click around. The websites that get themselves into trouble are the ones that have like 60 different pages. Again, corporate websites, I'm going to keep calling them. Yeah. <laughs> right. They're super bad for that. They have okay. like, navigation items of like products and solutions and all this stuff. And, you know, 60 pages later, you don't really get any of it. Um, 
So, you know, there, there's an aspect of clarity of navigation there, but really clarity of the path that your visitor takes to your site. And the third thing is the obvious call to action. Uh, what do you want your visitor to do? And is that the right call to action? Um, do you want them to sign up for your product right away? Do you want them to be contacting, uh, you know, someone on your sales team? Mm-hmm. Um, and how easy are you making that for them? It, if at any point the visitor is confused, um, you're not going to get the lead. Or if at any point you're making things too difficult for the visitor, you're, you're probably leaking sales, of course, as well, mm-hmm. because they just give up. Um, you know, your checkout process is convoluted, broken, what have you. Yeah. Um, and those are the three obvious things. So, you know, if you're talking about how someone can go from this interview and probably make improvements on their site, that's probably it. Mm-hmm. Um, with the caveat, of course, if this were a real engagement, you don't really start there. You start with the metrics and you start with, you know, what is it that the client trying to achieve? Yeah. Um, what sort of analytics do they have? Mm-hmm. Um what seems to be working and is getting the numbers that they're expecting and where is there an obvious drop somewhere? And there usually is. But um, failing that, if you're building a site from scratch or if you just want to improve your site, those are the three things that most of the time, the problem lies somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and which is awesome. I'm I'm taking copious notes here. Um, It reminds me of... What it's, uh, I think Derek Sivers said it on Tim Ferriss' show like several years ago, and it always stuck with me. Something to the effect of this quote is that he said, good marketing is just being considerate. Yeah. And it's such a, it's such a great, like, simple, and it's totally Derek Sivers, totally zen. It's such a zen line. It's great. Um, but man, it's totally true because the things that you listed off, it really, if, like, if you pick on the corporate, sites because unfortunately corporations don't start with the customer they start with themselves that's how you end up with long convoluted descriptions of how awesome the corporation is and nothing about the client or the problem they solve they're just not being they're being inconsiderate essentially to the visitor so i love that approach of like let's just look at it here are the here are the top three things and in, in essentially like above the fold on your website that just like hey let's be considerate and let's make it easy for the person to understand and then to take the action that we claim we want them to take. So I love that. I love that approach because it essentially just boils down to that, just being considerate, thinking of the visitor first. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. I actually got to speak, see Derek uh, speak a few years ago. And yeah, it, it was such a great experience because mm-hmm. like you said, he has this like very Zen, very simple approach to business. And, you know, I think he's one of those few people out there that can really challenge your the entire premise of your thought process. <laughs> yeah, I remember Tim Ferriss saying, you know, there's some people I call when I want to like get more Facebook followers and he's like, and I want a tactic and I'll call them for that. He's like, you're the guy I call and I tell him I want more Facebook followers and you ask me, why do you want to grow your business? And like, just like, <laughs> boom, bam, 50,000 foot level right off the bat. So I always got, I got a kick out of that. Um, okay, but let's uh, let's finish off with a couple questions about kind of the next steps for you because uh, you're like you're seeing the same things. You're in the trenches every day. You know you've you've got staff. You're serving clients. Um, like you know where the where the trends are going. Like you you can see kind of what's happening in the economy. You can see the rise of AI. You can see the like you talked about the metrics, right? The metrics are getting easier to track. 
and it's getting easier to see what's producing results and what's not, which is both good and bad, depending on, you know, whether you're good at generating results or if you've been good at covering up the fact that you're not good at generating results. <laughs> and there's a lot of that out there. I think that's going to be weeded out. Uh, so kind of what's, uh, tell me a little bit about where you see the agency going for you. Where does that fit into your world and what's kind of the next steps that you're taking for yourself just to kind of set yourself up for the next 10, 20 years? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question, but a hard question mm. uh, because I, I feel there's a few questions there. I mean, what do you think is happening in the agency world? Well, you know, the easy answer to that is that I think online marketing as a whole has gotten a lot better over the past 10 years and it's mm. going to get exponentially better over the next 20 because mm. I think we as a society have kind of figured out the basics. Right, we kind of understand how to present an offer online. Mm-hmm. Um, our customers understand how to pay us online. Yeah, um, there's a lot of things where you know we have giant books of tricks that we know work, and on top of that, uh, we have crazy good tracking now, so mm-hmm. we can actually see if our stuff is working. Um, on the other hand, you can definitely expect that. I think in the next five years, there is going to be at least one disruptive web technology that comes out uh, that messes things up for a lot of people, but at the same time creates a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that'll be yet. Um, but AI does seem to be at the heart of it. Yeah. Uh, this whole idea of the internet of things, um, not in the your fridge is going to tell you when to order eggs way, <laughs> Um, but how the devices we use and how they integrate into our lives Mm -hmm. is going to be something along those lines. Because when you think about it, we used to do all of our web surfing and shopping off our laptops and desktops even five years ago. Um, Now, if I want to buy something, uh, you know what I do is I don't even Google it unless it's something esoteric. Mm -hmm. I pull up the Amazon app on my phone I press like maybe two buttons and that's it. And it's problem solved, um, which is huge compared to, you know, spending half a day going to the store. It's huge re- having to remember to go online, find a website that you trust, fill out a checkout form, um, you know, pray to God that, you know, they're not selling your credit card information off se- overseas somewhere. <laughs> right. um, it is just a huge pain in the neck. Now it's just this crazy app and two buttons and it's done. Mm-hmm. And, you got companies like Amazon, you got companies like Google, um, a bunch of other ones. They're all vying to make that connection between us and their services and the web way, way more tightly knit than just a website. Hmm. And I don't know what that means for the web world. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I think the, it's going to be interesting, and I'm not a big fan. I, I wish, you know... From an ease of use, I get it, um, but the in-home assistants, the the Alexas, the you know the Google Assist, all all this other stuff that's coming, uh, and it's already here. I mean, at least in in terms of like podcast listenership, the last metrics I've seen is that in-home speakers are accounting for like eight to ten percent of podcast listens. Like it's grown, like just bam, like all of a sudden it's ten percent of the market. Um, and so I'm watching that going, man, I don't want to, like, I'm going to have to get an in-home speaker in my house that I don't want just to keep up with what other people are doing that I'm not doing so that I don't fall behind. And cause I'm, uh, I'm not a huge fan of it, but you mentioned like pulling up an app and doing two buttons and problem solved. Mm-hmm. I think most people 
there's a segment of the population that don't even want to do that because that that requires reading and that requires interacting with an app. They'd rather just say, "Hey Alexa, order me." Um, you know, it's already in my my wish list from when I stumbled across it last week. Order me that thing for the house. Uh, and oh, by the way, I need um, uh, four sheets of uh, drywall. Uh, I need uh, th- like two gallons of Kills Primer. Like you can literally order. <laughs> you start just ordering what you need for a home renovation project off of uh, off of Alexa. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see. I think that'll be one of the first ones, uh, maybe over the next three years, is it'll change like how we make offers because it, it like more stuff might shift to audio and it might shift towards like it might give like you, you talk about the membership sites and stuff like that. It might give the Amazons of the world and people that have an established brand name already a major advantage where we'd rather buy something from them where we can just tell Alexa to order it without going to somebody who has like a smaller, more niche solution, which would be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, part of this conversation is a little dystopian uh, because, you know, you know what? I, I'm also not a huge fan of that stuff, except at the same time, I am because, uh, like, I, like I said, we just we got a new house and it came with this whole like smart home thing that oh, I would have never bought or installed. Yeah, but now okay. I can pull up my app. And like open and close my doors. I can check my t- like the home house temperature. Um, you know, if I, I I cheaped out and got like the lower version Roomba, but if I had gotten like the crazy highest end Roomba, I could tell my house to vacuum itself with the press of a button. <laughs> um, so it is a little crazy and weird and creepy. But on the other hand, I mean, some of the stuff also translates into how payments are accepted, for example. Mm-hmm. So I think the checkout form where you enter a credit card number will go away in the next yeah. five years. That's true. Already- that's a great point. And that's going to make yes. it a lot easier for us to sell stuff online. Yeah, absolutely. Like it's already going away on your phone. Like if you play around, like um, smarter apps let you, for example, scan in your card uh, with mm-hmm. your camera and yeah. it'll do all the OCR. Uh, your browser will save your card for you. And it's just, you know, I, I think the end goal of these companies is that you don't have to pull out your card at all. Mm-mm. to make a purchase and some of that technology is going to be available to everyone. So it's the kind of things to be thinking about. Um, but again, I don't know exactly what that looks like. Um, I just know that everything's always changing. And you know, for me and my agency, uh, that basically means I'll <laughs> always paying attention as well. Um, yeah. yeah, no kidding. All right. So speaking of the agency, tell people kind of, um, just the, like the 30 second pitch, especially who the ideal client is and how they can reach out and connect with you. And then we'll talk about your podcast in a second. Yeah, absolutely. So we primarily work with online business owners, especially membership sites. Uh, but basically you have an online business and it's doing really well and you've outgrown your technology stack. You've outgrown uh, your, your goals have outgrown what you're able to accomplish. And we can come in and help you do the more advanced things that bigger companies can do that you can't accomplish with your technology. And we can help you do it strategically. So you're going to end up with a lot more customers, a lot more retention, um, and at the end of the day, a lot more money. Um, so you can find us at tiltapixel.com. And uh, you know I'm happy to have a chat always. Very cool. And then the Freelance Transformation Podcast. Who's the, who's the ideal listener for that? Who gets the most value? Uh, freelancers. Um, freelancers, consultants, agency owners. Uh, if you're trying to sell your services, 
Um, and particularly if you're solo, uh, then the Freelance Transformation Podcast basically helps you build a better freelance business. Now, I believe that clarity releases energy. So I hope that this episode creates clarity for you by laying out a path forward in your business. Now, if you're interested in starting a podcast like this to help you break into a new industry or to establish yourself as an authority in a niche market, let's talk. We have a complete done for you podcasting service. Uh, That is my agency that I'm building and growing. And I'd love to talk to you about what we can potentially do for you. You can learn more at pursuingresults.com to get a sense of what our service is all about. And if you're ready, if you're really seriously thinking about starting a podcast, I'm happy to brainstorm your ideas and talk about the positioning of your podcast within the market. Something that you can take away whether we end up working together or not. So you can grab a time on my calendar for a podcast brainstorm call at bookjohnson.com. That is bookjohnson.com. I just want to thank you again for listening to the show, for leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes, and more importantly, for investing your time, your energy, your attention into the show. It really means the world to me that you would do that. So again, this is the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine, and we'll see you on the next episode.